Hey, what's going on? It's at the letters brought to you by Miller Light, the original light beer. Today is Thursday, June 10th. My name's Arden Zwelling. Ben Nicholson Smith is with me, and our producers are Christian Ryan and Mike Tassoni. Ben, the Toronto Blue Jays are 31 and 28. That is good for a 5-2-5 winning percentage and fourth place in the American League East. Not good enough. No bueno. Gotta be better. Gotta outperform that over the remainder of the season. And I would say that the biggest impediment to outperforming that over the rest of the regular season is not this team's offense and its its lineup, which has been fine and is going to, we hope, welcome George Springer back before long. It's not the starting rotation where uh, Hunjin Ryu is being Hunjin Ryu and Robbie Ray is having this remarkable year. Steven Matz has been fine. Alec Manoa and Ross Stripling are giving you what you need. You could go to AAA and grab a Thomas Hatch or a TJ Zoic or a Nate Pearson if like you really need some help. It's not that. It's the bullpen. And it's the fact that every night when Charlie Montoyo has a lead to protect and anywhere from four to eight outs to get at the end of a game he's looking down towards a stable of relievers in which he has like one and a half dudes who he can trust in really high leverage ben it is something that needs to be addressed i assure you that the blue jays are going to address this by the trade deadline but do you think that it needs to be addressed far sooner than that the sooner the better with the bullpen. I mean, like you said, there's not enough when it comes to stable arms, quality arms that the Blue Jays can can turn to on a nightly basis. And we all know just how demanding the schedule is, how tough the opposition is when you're facing teams like the White Sox or the Red Sox or the Astros. There's some good hitting teams in the American League that the Jays are facing right now. And to go up against those lineups with Trent Thornton in leverage one night and then Let's hope Tyler Chatwood can figure it out the next. And who knows what's going to happen the night after that. I mean, it is a juggling act. And as much as there have been times that we can question and do question the bullpen management of Charlie Montoyo, he can only work with what he has. And there's a limit to what he has. And right now, there are too many questions. There are too few sure things. Maybe some of those guys, like an Anthony Castro, can step up and join that group. But I agree with your general premise there, your general take there that... This is a team that definitely needs more help in that bullpen, for sure. It can't be Romano and Elise every single night. Like, there has to be more. And we have to acknowledge that on the injured list right now, there is a pretty good back end of a bullpen sitting there for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, You want to throw in Kirby Yates and David Phelps into that conversation, and then obviously Julian Merriweather and Ryan Barucki. The latter two that I mentioned at least have a chance of returning this season, although neither of them appear particularly close to returning. The former two, done for the year. So you're going to have to replace those dudes anyway, and now you're going to have to replace um, Barucki and Merriweather, who are not around to, to contribute. Some of that can come internally. I would expect expect Patrick Murphy to be in the big leagues before long by the end of the week maybe um you know it, it can't be long before he's up here to to help this bullpen I mean 
you could get real crazy and and go to Kirby Sneed or Brian Baker or Connor Overton, like some of these guys who have been having strong years at, at AAA. But if you really want impact and you really want like proven dudes and high leverage guys who have done it at the big league level before, guys who are doing it at the big league level now, like you got to be calling Texas about uh, Ian Kennedy or you got to be calling Seattle about Kendall Graveman or Washington about Daniel Hudson, Colorado about Daniel Bard. You got to be making those calls right now. Pittsburgh about Richard Rodriguez. I mean, you know, the, the names are out there and it takes two to tango. And, uh, you know, the Blue Jays would obviously have to give something up that they probably like in order to make a deal like that right now. And they'd also have to find a willing trade partner who is motivated to make that move right now and incentivized to do so and isn't just saying, well, why why wouldn't we just wait until July, till closer to July 30th, the, the trade deadline, when there might be more bidders and there might be more of a market. So it's a lot easier said than done, but I'm pretty sure the Blue Jays are making those calls right now, or at least they should be because they need some help in this bullpen. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. And fully expect that every team around baseball would be laying groundwork for future moves at the very least right now. Blue Jays obviously included within that. Those calls are happening. So it's a question of where it leads. And, you know, for the Jays, like I said, the sooner the better, because looking at the way this entire season is going to unfold for the Blue Jays, for the American League East, for the league as a whole, it looks like it's going to be pretty competitive. And this isn't necessarily one of those years where you've got you know, five super teams or four super teams, and there's one spot up for grabs. It's pretty close in the American League East. It's pretty close with respect to some of those wildcard races. You know, I think Houston is a great team. Like, they've just got pitching all over the place. They're in a good spot. They're probably running away with the West, in my opinion. White Sox, to me, look like the best team in the Central. So you've got a lot of competition. And the way things are going right now, it looks like it's going to stay close. So what that means is some team might win the last wildcard spot or the second wildcard spot by something like two games or one game. It might be that close. And so if you're the Blue Jays, you know that you belong in that conversation. It's not a doubt anymore. It's not a surprise anymore. They belong in that conversation. So do you want to be the team that finishes with 86 wins or the team that finishes with 89 and barely makes it in? And obviously, they want to be the team that you know barely makes it in. I'm sure they have goals that are higher than that as well. But if nothing else, they want to create a pathway to themselves for being that 89-win team that just makes it in. And so how do you do that? Probably win some close games and have some breaks go your way. And you can't totally map that out to some extent. It's circumstance, it's luck, it's unpredictable. To another extent, you actually can give yourself the best chance possible at winning those close games and improving your record in those one-run games by having the best relievers possible, by having a better bullpen than they have right now by having more than two relievers that you can trust. Yeah, it's funny. It's the stuff around the fringes, right? Like it's not kind of the core of the club, which you feel strong about, like one through five in the batting order you feel strong about. Don't even have George Springer in there right now. One through three in your rotation, you feel pretty good about. Like it's the, it's around the fringes, right? It's the bullpen. Like it's having, you know, strong relievers to, to go to. It's also your bench. It's also like having like good pinch hit options late in games and like good pieces to throw in on days where somebody needs a day off. Like it's kind of the the ancillary pieces that that this team really needs to address to give themselves a better chance in those in those games that you're mentioning. Because yeah, that's where 
some of the uh, quote-unquote winnable games we've seen the Blue Jays drop to this point and, and we can all remember several of them whether it's a ninth inning collapse or it's a day where you go one for 12 with runners in scoring position or or whatever it is like that's where this could come back to bite you is if this wild card race really really is tight and you're saying man like we had that game in you know in mid-may that we really should have won or like hey there were those two in in late april that we basically you know gave away and we beat ourselves in those ones and, and that could be the difference because for a while it is you know quote unquote early and relatively in the season we're not at the halfway point yet while there's still a lot of baseball to be played like the wins and losses today count the same as the wins and losses in September when we're all going to be refreshing the standings page every single day and looking at everybody's schedule you know I guess the one thing the Blue Jays sort of look at with some hope when they think you know maybe we can go on a run here is that the schedule does lighten up a little bit after the next week or so after this run of Chicago, Boston, New York, then you start playing the the Baltimore's and Miami comes back. The Blue Jays could go on a run there, but you're going to want to give Charlie Montoyo the pieces to do that. And that's in the bullpen and on the bench. That's having useful contributors that can help the Blue Jays win some tight games if they get into them um, and put away teams that they should be beating so they can win at a higher clip than they have been to this point, put themselves in a better position. Totally. I mean, even if you're facing Baltimore, they're a better team than the Orioles by far, but it doesn't mean they're going to win 11-0 every day. Like there could be, even the wins might be a 4-3 win or a 4-2 win. You want to have some good reinforcements there and some good relievers that can help you out in those situations. And it is kind of a funny time of year in a sense, because like you look at the calendar, it's like, okay, trade deadlines next month, it's coming up. In another sense, it's like (laughs) there might be like 45 games before the trade deadline that's a lot of games that's a lot of time for things to go well or for things to go really wrong and if you're the blue jays you have some reinforcements coming you have the schedule easing up you also want to do everything you can from a roster standpoint to mitigate against the risk that things go wrong and helping the bullpen with a trade would absolutely help in that respect so the other glaring area of weakness on this roster right now is behind the plate and it's been one all season long and now it really is one with Danny Jansen hitting the injured list Alejandro Kirk already on the injured list his aisle stint runs through early July he's not coming back anytime soon right now your catching tandem is Reese McGuire who was DFA'd in spring and passed through waivers untouched by 29 other teams and Riley Adams who has played two major league games in his life how long can the Blue Jays roll forward with that being their catching tandem, Ben? I mean, the early returns to Riley Adams' credit have been pretty good. That's encouraging. Uh, you know, obviously, this isn't how the Blue Jays drew it up. This isn't how they would draw it up as far as their catching setup. But yeah, like I'll give Adams some credit. Great start at AAA. I think he had six home runs in about a month there. That's a great pace. Strikes out a lot, too. But you can see the swing and the power that first major league hit he got off the center field wall in Chicago. That's an encouraging sign. Like you can, you see the frame, you see his swing. It's like not a surprise that this guy would connect and hit for a lot of power sometimes. Um, and, and if he hits 210 and strikes out 33% of the time and runs into some home runs, that's probably fine from your backup to your backup catcher, right? Like it's hard to really expect all that much more. And especially if he can handle himself defensively, which he seems to be doing. And if he can do some little things like legging it down to third base after a drop third strike, I mean, 
I think the returns are good for Adams, and it's always nice, you know, especially now that some fans are back in the stands. You see his family. You see, you know, that just the experience of these players arriving in the big leagues. It's a cool story, and it's not plan A, but I think it's okay for now. But, I mean, where do you land on it? Well, yeah, if he hit 210, he would be hitting 25 points higher than Blue Jays catchers have to this point in the season. So he would actually be an improvement <laughs> a step up on what the Blue Jays have been getting from behind the plate. I don't know, man. Like, I think as long as you get George Springer back and healthy and being George Springer and you don't suffer, you know, then like two catastrophic injuries to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Teoscar Hernandez and you maintain your lineup the way it is. I think the Blue Jays can probably punt offensively on catcher. They've been doing it to this point, and they've you know scored runs at a decent clip. Incredibly, Blue Jays catchers have not been the worst offensive like catching crew to this point in the season. They're definitely bottom ten, but they're not bottom five. Like there's a lot of teams that are you know doing worse because catchers just do not hit. You know, like un- unless you have like one of the you know like one of the better catchers in in the game offensively. I mean, it's just so few and far between. So many teams are just getting by without a lot of offense from the catchers. So I think the Blue Jays could actually sustain this a little bit. You're going to want Danny Jansen back before long. Um, you're going to want Alejandro Kirk to you know continue to build on what he's done in his young career. It's kind of interesting to see him you know catching like sim games in Dunedin right now and maybe it's even a good like sign. getting. Getting some plate appearances. Yeah. You know, like this, uh, considering there's still like 20, 21 days left on his, on his IL stint, it's a good sign. Good sign. He could be ready to come off as soon as he's eligible. Um, and yeah, I would echo what you said about Riley Adams. Like it's only two games, but you know, kid looks composed, you know, like kid looks like a big leaguer, right? Like he just kind of carries himself very well. doesn't look like the game's really speeding up on him too much. And he doesn't look like over overwhelmed by the moment. Like it's one of those things where he hasn't done anything behind the plate, but I'm like, wow, like that was amazing. But he hasn't done anything behind the plate where I'm like, Ooh, that's a minor leaguer, you know, like he hasn't like carried any strikes out of the zone, right? Like in, you know, framing wise, or there haven't been any balls that got past him that you're like, yeah, yeah, big league catch should really stop that or you know there hasn't been like a pitcher on the mound like shaking his head furiously and like getting upset with the rhythm and not getting the signs put down they once put down like he's just kind of assimilated himself like very smoothly and seamlessly to being a big league catcher which is like impressive because as it's got to be the hardest position to make a transition to at the big league level. Like as a catcher, you think about how much responsibility these guys have, whether, you know, it's game calling and, and strategizing, reading swings, understanding game plans, understanding what your pitcher is going through and trying to carry Robbie Ray through an outing and knowing what he wants to throw and throw into the bases and defense behind the plate. And then, Oh, by the way, then you got to go and hit against like Carlos Rodon. Like it's really hard, man. Like it's a lot. So Credit to Riley Adams for making it look easy to this point. And I think the Blue Jays probably could get by with what they have, but I still wouldn't be mad if they went out and like trade for Jacob Stallings tomorrow either, you know? That all makes sense, I think. Yeah, with the emergence of Kirk or the reemergence of Kirk back toward the big leagues would be so good because then at that point, you can kind of return to Kirk being one of your primary options. If it so happens that, you know, all of those guys are producing at once, you've got a great problem. Certainly not one that's been familiar to the Blue Jays at that position so far this year. So got to get there first. But yeah, to have Kirk coming back, he's the one who has the most offensive potential out of all these catchers, with maybe the exception of Gabriel Moreno, who's doing great things at double A. But out of the guys who have actually played in the major leagues this year, out of those four, 
Kirk is the one who gives you the most. So if and when he comes back, he's the guy that you want up at the plate, taking a good amount of at-bats on a regular basis. And if Adams goes back to AAA at that point, that's fine. Or if another injury answers that question for you, you can roll with that as well. Yeah, I would caution against looking to, you know, Gabby Moreno to be the savior here this season. Like, I think he could debut this season. Like, obviously, we saw Kirk do it last year from a lower level that Moreno is at now. And obviously, Moreno's having this, like, incredible year right now at double A. And, you know, I don't know, it might be a little too early for the Blue Jays, but, like, maybe starting to look at, like, hey, maybe you need to challenge this kid with triple A. Maybe you need to bump him up a little bit because he is clearly like making double A look a little bit too easy. But, you know, for all those reasons I just cited about how hard it is to transition to the big leagues as a catcher and just how much responsibility goes into it. I mean, that's a lot to put on a kid to be like, no, you're going to come up later in the season and like take over this position and it's going to be yours. You know, like catching, it's, it's kind of like starting pitching, right? Like it takes a while to fully develop. Like how many early 20s catchers do you see in MLB who are like really, really good? You know, like typically it's a position that like the development curve, it's just like a bit later, you know, it takes a little bit of time to like kind of realize that potential and learn everything and get enough just miles, um, you know, under your feet so that you know, like what it's like being a catcher in MLB. So, you know, and, and that's all like without even mentioning that the Blue Jays would never sacrifice the long term development of a prospect in order to address a short-term need like if they really got desperate i think they would probably just like go out and try to acquire a big league catcher um and and you know a veteran somebody who's been at the big league level for a while and knows what they're doing before they're gonna say all right well hey gabby moreno here you go like better be good (laughs) here we go i think we could see him at the big league level later on this season but it would be more so in kind of the role that alejandro kirk filled last year i don't think it would be as the everyday guy Yeah, I mean, that would be a huge ask to put on him for sure. I think, yeah, as long as he's hitting 370, then he's making the case and pushing himself forward. And we'll see how long that lasts, right? Like if it lasts for another month and a half, then the conversation will be different in August than it is now. It's almost like with Manoa when he was excelling so much at AAA, at a certain point, you adjust the timeline and you think, okay, maybe this is the best thing for his development and for the big league team at the same time. But It's not every prospect who just goes out and dominates at the upper levels of the minor leagues the way Manoa did. And even then, like you said, catcher, very complicated position, a lot to take in there. So a lot of reason to be deliberate. I think there's a real shot that we see Moreno this year, but it's not a guarantee either. And so I see kind of both possibilities as being real, him debuting, him not debuting, but it's certainly interesting. And you see him as he's right now playing in the minor leagues really rising up some of those rankings and some of those baseball america top prospect lists gabriel moreno is a name to watch let's step away but when we continue we'll talk some more trade ideas we'll talk uh, some more george springer and we'll talk sticky stuff as everybody in the mlb must this week when we continue on at the letters It continues on at the letters, Arden Zwelling, Ben Nicholson-Smith, our producers, Mike Tassoni and Christian Ryan. And it is time now for Keeping It Light, presented by Miller Light. 
Lots of interesting submissions this week. Thank you to everybody who has emailed. A slight tweak to the email address just for anybody who wants to get in touch with us. Uh, you can submit your ideas for keeping it light or just your general comments, feedback, questions, uh, complaints, proposals, whatever you got. Send it in. Uh, to at the letters at sportsnet.ca. That is at the letters at sportsnet.ca. So hit us up there. If you want us to talk about something or you got something you want to tell us, thanks to everybody who uh, submitted lots of questions about sticky stuff. And we are going to get to that kind of at the end of the podcast because we just want to deal with the Blue Jays stuff first. Uh, but this week we're going to uh, talk trades because uh, trade season is approaching. Uh, it may already be among us, uh, depending on your perspective. But strategy-wise, Ben, when with the Blue Jays looking at their roster right now, where they are in the standings, looking at what might be out there, looking at where they are on kind of the greater, grander, not just this year track, but like three to five year long-term track of this franchise and trying to be competitive strategically. Do you think the Blue Jays should be thinking big? This trade deadline, should they be like, hey, Max Scherzer, come on down, Trevor Story, let's do this? Or should they be doing something somewhat like what they did last year, where they kept it more sort of small scale with kind of Taiwan Walkers and Robbie Rays um, and the Jonathan VRs of this world? Right. Yeah, I think if you're the Blue Jays, you need to start at the top and you need to at least have a conversation with teams like the Washington Nationals about Max Scherzer and see where it goes because Max Scherzer is a Hall of Fame pitcher. He would make the Blue Jays a lot better. Obviously, that's something you need to look into. But I think at the same time, being realistic, he's a free agent. So is Trevor Story. Are you going to part with the amount of talent that it would take to acquire those guys for a player who is going to be a free agent in a few months time? That is a big investment for a player who would not be a long-term piece. So you need to tread carefully. You also need to know what the prices are on players who are controllable. And you need to know the prices on players who are rentals, but in a much lower tier and would cost a lot less. It's interesting. With a guy like Scherzer, what you're acquiring, like that's not only somebody who's going to help you out down the, the stretch run, but that's somebody who would like be starting one of your first postseason games. Game you one, know? I would think. <laughs> right? Well, I don't know. Hunjin Ryu, like, I, I don't know who you would give it to, like how it would line up for you. That way, if you would say, like, look, like Ryu's our guy. We signed him for four years. Like He's been with us all year. He's getting the game one start. I don't know. It would be an interesting conversation to have if the Blue Jays did acquire a Max Scherzer. But like that is the like the big benefit to a guy like that is he can start a postseason game for you. Like you're not just kind of filling in like the four or five in your rotation. Here's a guy who can like hopefully get us to the postseason, like a Taiwan Walker last year, you know, who didn't even end up pitching in the playoffs for the Blue Jays. Here's someone who can help us get there, but not necessarily who we're going to be relying on to make a postseason start. So I think that's like that's kind of the separator in price. Really, And I think there is a big price point difference there when you are acquiring somebody who is going to be like a playoff starter or somebody who's just going to like eat innings for you down the stretch, but eat them like at a better clip with better production than say a TJ Zoic or a Thomas Hatch was going to. And the Blue Jays need it all. So, I mean, they're in a position where they really can shop for everything when it comes to pitching. They need relief help. They need starting pitching. They need elite relief help. You know, they could use some halfway decent relief help that's not quite elite. They could use some halfway decent starting pitching help that's not quite elite. And of course, if someone like Max Scherzer is out there, which we expect him to be, at least in theory, at least to the point that Mike Rizzo and the Nationals are listening and, and exploring that possibility, 
then you have to be in on those conversations. So where it leads, you don't know exactly. I think the way the Blue Jays operate is they tend to set their sights high. I mean, that's evident in the fact that they went after Ryu and got him. They went after Springer and got him. We know about other pursuits, whether it's Hendricks or whether it's Francisco Lindor, which probably in hindsight, you're glad you didn't end up getting. DJ LeMahieu, again, same thing. They are not a team that shies away from the top talent available. They pursue it. So that doesn't always lead to deals. And if we were to dial out the letters back six months ago, everyone would probably remember, oh my goodness, this team comes in second place on everybody. They're never going to sign anyone. (laughs) And that's where the conversation was. Now it's in a different place. And obviously that's bound to happen as the season evolves and as the needs of this organization change. But I think what doesn't change is this front office will explore the top possibilities out there when it comes to deals and they will have a price. And if the price is is too rich that the Nationals or another team wants, they'll walk away from that and they'll go to the next person on their list. But the end of next month, I do expect this team to be making trades and I do expect the roster will end up looking a lot different than it does now. So say the Blue Jays did want to go out and like acquire one of the like top talents available at the trade deadline. We all we don't know if Max Scherzer or Trevor Story are going to be traded. And I imagine Cal Gibson's going to be traded probably. Um, I don't know if you throw his name into that like tier, just considering he's having like a spectacular season, but the track record isn't quite there in the way that it is with some other guys. But like if you're talking Scherzer Story, you're going to be giving up like a prospect that you like and that fans have heard of and that is in your Baseball America top 10, maybe even two of them. Like you're going to be paying a pretty steep price. Ben, if the Blue Jays were going to swim in those waters, are there any Blue Jays prospects that you wouldn't consider trading in the right deal? Oh, yeah. I mean, for rentals, there are definitely guys that I don't think it would be reasonable to trade. I mean, you're you're obviously not trading Austin Martin, Jordan Groshen, Simeon Woods-Richardson, you know, you could go down the list. I just think this is a good farm system. You can't be cavalier with trading that talent away. You have to protect it. And you look back at last summer's deadline, they got Taiwan Walker and Robbie Ray for relatively light packages. That's preferable from a long-term organizational standpoint. And look, it's not as though they don't have anyone who can start game one and game two in a playoff series. If you have Ryu and Robbie Ray starting those games, you're in a fine spot. You still need to get better. And I'm not saying that this team needs to like try to be too cute and not be willing to upgrade. But I also think that there are guys that you're not going to trade for rentals. And it's a different story if you're talking about guys with multiple years of control, someone who can be a long-term piece. Sure, talk about Jordan Groshans. Talk about Woods Richardson. Any of these guys can be on the table if you're talking about enough control. But if you're talking about a rental, I just think that's too reckless. And it's not the way that the Blue Jays or other responsible front offices would operate. Would Austin Martin be a bridge too far for you? Yeah. Probably in any deal, even for a controllable starting pitcher? It depends on how much control and it depends on how good the starting pitcher is. Like, I, you know, if it was Tyler Glasnow and I don't have his contract status in front of me, but I, yeah. he's got, and the Rays wouldn't trade him, but just for argument's sake, he's got, let's say, three years left. Sure, like you might do that deal. Um, three for seven. You could make the case that that would be a good deal. You could also make the case that it wouldn't be. Like, who's the emerging young controllable pitcher? Like Casey Mize? You probably want to get better than him. So is it, if Dustin May was healthy, Julio Arias, he's probably got too much service time. I'm just thinking out loud here. But I mean, there could be a player that you would trade Martin for. And that's what I'm trying to get at here, is that no prospect is ever truly untouchable. You know, like there's never 
really like certainly like, obviously for rental you're not going to trade austin martin but like for you know the right deal i think there is a scenario in which you would trade austin martin the return would have to be substantial it would take a lot right like it have to be probably a really good controllable front of rotation starting pitcher or like a truly truly elite like shortstop third baseman today who is like young and controllable and or maybe who you can lock up for for a long time like it would take a lot to do it but i i'm sure that scenario exists somewhere as low of a chance and as low of a probability as there is of it ever coming to pass so like because it's just like it's something that always bothers me about this time of year that that guy's untouchable nobody is untouchable every prospect can be moved it's funny you say that because just as you're talking there about the idea of nobody being untouchable it just occurs to me you know Vlad Guerrero Jr. and how good he is how much trade value he has like is there a player in baseball and again I, I haven't dug into this I didn't realize the conversation would go in this way but is there anyone in baseball that the Blue Jays or, or you, Arden Zwelling, would trade Vlad Guerrero Jr. for? Because, like, I can't think of one. Mike Trout? No. You wouldn't trade Vlad straight up for Mike Trout for the best player of all time? He's just no. <laughs> he's, no, he's I over the though. hill. I wouldn't. Because <laughs> you have five, you have, you have four and a half years of Vlad. Right. Basically five years of Vlad at insane low cost. Or you have Mike Trout full price as he plays his 30s i think Vlad <laughs> might be the better choice there no yeah I, I think that's totally reasonable i was talking more about prospects uh, uh, i know you know, I know like guys who haven't made their big league debuts yes. yet um because it's like it's very easy to get caught up in think you know looking at the baseball america top 10 and being like oh there's our rotation and lineup for the next 10 years and you could just like look back at the historical top 10s if you need a reminder kyle Draymond, like incredible attrition rate amongst uh top prospects like a high percentage of the blue jays top prospects right now will not pan out will not be all-stars like if you get big league regulars out of them like amazing <laughs> copacetic man scott kingery was just outrighted by the phillies right like look back at you know what was being said about scott kingery um i don't know what probably in like 2018 right or whenever he signed that deal and i think that Going forward, I don't necessarily think this is going to happen at the trade deadline. Um, it's possible, but I think it's probably more of an offseason thing. There's going to be a trade made by the Blue Jays that involve prospects uh, and names the Blue Jays fans have been dreaming on going to another organization. Like, it's just, you're going to start seeing this club making trades that don't look a whole lot like the trades they've made to this point and to the, the trades that you're accustomed to seeing this front office make. Because you don't just like sign Hunjin Ryu and sign George Springer and then call it a day. You keep adding, like, and you keep pushing and you keep supplementing and you keep addressing deficiencies and filling the like unexpected holes that come up via injury or via underperformance. You just need to make your team as competitive as possible. Like you don't just stop with what the Blue Jays have done adding wise now, particularly in their division. Like, they have to keep going. And it's great to have young players constantly coming up through your system to kind of, you know, refresh and and <laughs> from the team's perspective, have some very cheap production in, in zero to three years. Although who knows what service time is going to look like on the other side of, of this season. Um, that's neither here nor there. But the Blue Jays at some point are going to need to swing a big trade 
for a good player, and it's probably going to involve some names the Blue Jays fans have been dreaming on. What do you think about the Pittsburgh Pirates as a pretty natural trade partner for the Toronto Blue Jays at the deadline? Like, you got injuries behind the plate, and even when everybody's healthy, no production behind the plate. Hey, how about Jacob Stallings? You know, he's he's still got a couple years of, of club control, so the Pirates don't have to deal him, but he's like 31. He's not going to be a part of their long-term rebuild um and if anything that just like increases the value they would have right now in trade um i mentioned richard rodriguez who is somebody who could step in and be a high leverage reliever for this club obviously adam frazier high contact low strikeout left-handed bat multi-positional guy play a little third a little short he can play outfield corners if you needed him to what a useful tool that would be for charlie montoya to have and then even like under the radar chris stratton a guy in their bullpen who's got like a bunch of things that the Blue Jays look for. Like he's got super high spin rates on his his heater and his breaking stuff. He's a versatile relief option. So you can use him like in bulk outings. You could use him in shorter stints. Like, you know, he's durable. Like these are the things the Blue Jays look for when they look for relief pitchers. And I can't imagine that it would cost that that much to prime away. You consider all that and the fact that Ben Sherrington was obviously in this club's, in the Blue Jays' front office for some time and is pretty familiar with the Blue Jays' system, I find it hard not to see the Blue Jays and Pirates lining up on something ahead of July 30th. Yeah, and I mean, even Steve Sanders, the AGM with the Pirates, drafted like half the Blue Jays' system <laughs> when he was here as the amateur scouting director. So yeah, tons of familiarity And there's a match on paper. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, if you're the Blue Jays, those guys would help. And yet they are not the best options on the trade market. So if you're trying to maximize your chances of making the best upgrade possible, then maybe you start elsewhere and your offers to the Pirates today on June the 10th or whatever it is as we record this, maybe they're not overwhelming. The Pirates, meanwhile, are likely to wait and try to make sure that they can maximize the return on any trade offers that they get. And so they're going to want to be patient and deliberate as they consider any offer. So not necessarily going to lead to traction right now, but I agree in the, in the next five, six weeks, that's absolutely a pairing that that makes sense. I I think, and you outlined it on sportsnet.ca over the weekend or, or pretty recently, just looking at that fit. So anyone can check out exactly what some of those matchups might look like. But, you know, for me, I look at the Texas Rangers and I think Joey Gallo would be great. And I think, as you mentioned, Kyle Gibson, Kyle Gibson doesn't have like amazing stuff, but he's got good command, good stuff, pitching really well, just came back from the injured list, had another quality start in his first outing back. So Gibson, Gallo, those are guys that I think make sense. But of course, the Pirates guys absolutely make sense as well. And this is a team that has a number of needs. Ian Kennedy with the Rangers as well injured now but has been off to a very good start yes yeah he just hit the IL everybody's getting hurt this year yeah do you think it makes it easier or harder to get a trade done with the Pirates that their front office is so familiar with the Blue Jays system like does it make it more difficult because like Ben Sherrington and Steve Sanders are going to like all the same guys that the Blue Jays front office likes and don't want to give up or does it make it easier because like you know Ross Atkins Joe Sheehan will know immediately as soon as I throw this name into the trade we have traction I think it's a good question I think it would be easier because teams are they have respect for each other they're not trying to rip each other off they're not trying to pull a fast one so i think that those executives could 
you know, arrive at a, I would say a table, but realistically it's a group text or it's a phone call and have similar values and similar starting points and just be able to begin a conversation at a starting point that is kind of reasonable for all involved, see the other's perspective and say, okay, either we want to push this ahead in this direction, or there are too many other possibilities we have to keep in mind and remain open to. And so there's not going to be traction right now, but I think there would be very little wasted time and I think that it would be relatively easy to start a conversation within that group. I think just the familiarity would make it easier, right? Like yeah. you just, there is no like subterfuge and there is no like, you know, trying to be coy, like you know each other and you know how each other feels, right? Because you've like spent so much time together talking about the very players that are going to be involved in that deal. You know how the they feel about these guys. Like you've heard their arguments about why they may or may not pan out as big leaguers so i just think like all that institutional knowledge going into it and also just like the like interpersonal relationship that you've built just like as guys being dudes like over that time i think would make it easier but it is kind of interesting how there could be you know a scenario where it's like yeah of course that's who ben Sherrington wants but that's who we want to keep Exactly. And so, I mean, there are a lot of guys that would just be for that very reason, they would stay in one place or the other, but there could be enough guys on the margins that get a little traction going and I I could see a trade happening. So let's tie up George Springer's status very quickly because he is, uh, he's running, he's sprinting, he's moving better, running the bases. We see him out there, no timeline on it. We don't know when he's going to get out on a rehab assignment. We don't know if that rehab assignment like starts in Dunedin with like sim games or with, you know, live BPs. We don't know if he just goes off to Trenton. We don't know anything. Do you have any, so I don't even know, it's such an unfair question, but do you have any expectation as to when we're going to see George Springer in the Blue Jays lineup? It's a fair question. It's one that Blue Jays don't answer. And uh, it's one that I don't have an answer to either. I think uh, I will say I'm a little surprised it's taken this long. And I'm not, I understand the reasons for taking it this slow. You want to make sure that he's ready. But uh, if you would ask me on May the 3rd, and maybe you did, if we went back and listened, you know, how long do we think Springer's going to be sidelined? I don't think it would have said until the middle of June or longer. So here we are. You got to be patient. You can't necessarily change the fact that his quad is hurt you got to make sure it it gets healthy but i am surprised it's taken this long i'll say that it's like the race to the halfway point it's is george springer gonna miss the entire first half of the season and i know he had those like 17 plate appearances or whatever but like is he gonna miss the vast majority of the first half of the season or not the blue jays passed the halfway point like right around canada day like very early july so i would assume he's going to be back before then but uh, it's a dangerous assumption play the assumptions game with george springer is a dangerous game to play yeah no doubt i mean i think i will say this once he's back and it looks as though he's he's running pretty well right now looks as though he'll be able to take a regular dose of center field playing time and i know lourdes griel jr makes some impressive throws but you know if i'm the jays i do not want lourdes in left field like i want him to be the dh because i just i think he just moves around like he, he takes in, in a position that's the least defensively demanding he makes it look very difficult he makes left field look very difficult and i just think you know you can make him your primary dh obviously continuing to rotate guys in but that might be a good thing whenever they get springer back yeah i think lourdes will still get his playing time in the outfield because you know you're going to get teoscar off his feet springer when he comes back isn't going to play every day in center field is the other thing right like they might do what they're going to do last time or last time they're going to bring him back a couple dh days okay now you play center field now back to dh 
now center field, now back to DH. Like, there's going to be a lot of designated hair time for George Springer when he returns. So, like, you know, defensively, I think it'll all sort itself out. You'll still see plenty of the alignments we've seen to this point. I guess the batting order is, you know, something that'll they'll need a tweak when when George Springer comes back. I assume you, you just you don't you know get too cute with it. Like you put him in the leadoff spot, and then you kind of got a decision to make. It's like who is moving down in the order? Is it Simeon or is it Bichette? What would you do? Well, Bichette's been hitting really well the last few days. Up until then, I would have said Bichette's the one who gets bumped down. Now it's probably a tougher decision. Good problem to have. Great problem to have if Bichette and Gritchuk are your 5-6. I mean, that's incredible. At this point, knowing what we know today as we record this, Bichette would be the guy who gets bumped down. And then maybe in a week's time, if he's still hitting and Semyon's in a bit of a rut, you move Bichette back up there to that top three with Vladdy and with Springer. I want Vlad hitting more. So, one of the best hitters on the team, if not the best hitter in all of baseball this year. Uh, I want him hitting more. I want him in the second. I don't care about the first time you go through the lineup. Like, forget and like miss me with that. Let's talk about what's going to happen in the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. So, put Guerrero hitting second, and then when Kevin Biggio is back healthy again, if he's hitting towards the bottom of the order, getting on base at a decent clip, boom. That's what I do. Simeon, Guerrero, Springer. Hernandez, and then Bichette or Grichik, whichever way you want to go. I like Springer at the top because he likes that leadoff spot. He's done it for such a long time. He's very good there. And again, very good hitter. You want him hitting a lot. So I would like Springer as the one. But Vladdy in the two spot, no argument against that. Let's talk about sticky stuff and foreign substances. Thanks to Dan and Brian who emailed about this and someone else emailed and didn't want to be named, which is totally fine. It's the topic du jour in baseball right now. Ben, sticky stuff foreign substances how did we get here why did we get here why is this happening i guess that's like my biggest question is like why is this a thing now this open secret this thing that like has been occurring in front of all of our eyes and that we've all actually been talking about for years and we've all like understood that this was like stuff that is commonly being used and the spin rates were going up and we all saw pictures on the mound touching their belt after every single pitch for no reason, not even like making it seem like they're adjusting their belt, literally just touching the belt, uh, touching the brim of their cap, you know, like, uh, like touching the glove, like uh, literally like it's just been the most blatant thing. So why now? Like, why is this happening today? I can't see a good reason for it. I, I asked a couple people because the same question occurred to me as this conversation picked up and I asked a couple people in the game, like, Am I missing something obvious? Like, is there some reason that this is occurring now instead of, I don't know, six months ago or a year from now? Like, why why now? I don't know. The answers that I got did not give me a clear response as to why exactly it's happening now, but it is. Obviously, that's uh, a topic in baseball that's on people's minds. To me, it's one that I think you need some regulation. You need some consistent rules that everyone is aware of, There's that umpires are aware everyone's of. aware of the rule then you need consistent enforcement and mm. consistent ability to enforce it and consistent follow-through with, with respect to what the penalties look like for that and that would clear up a lot right now we're in a situation where it's no man's land it's not fair to the hitters it's not fair to the umpires who have to regulate this the pitchers are in this situation where yes it's technically banned but they know that they need to basically use the sticky stuff if they want to keep up with their peers. So the pitchers use it all. And so it just leads to this environment where you have a lot of uncertainty. And so I think that they should clear it up. But I mean, in the meantime, I think it's still a very compelling product. I think baseball is still 
really fun to watch. I don't think it's like this moral crisis personally. Like, you know, even even the sign stealing stuff like that did kind of bother me. But this is somewhat similar situation. And I certainly like I'm not losing sleep over this, but I do think that it could benefit from some more consistency. If you want your rule followed, you have to enforce it because a rule without enforcement really isn't a rule at all. It's a guideline, right? You can tell me the speed limit on the 401 is 100 kilometers per hour. But if during rush hour, everyone's going 115 and nobody's going to ticket, well, the speed limit is not 100 miles per hour or kilometers per hour. <laughs> it's a guideline, man. Um, and it's been the same thing with foreign substances, which, as I said, have been talked about openly and used blatantly in front of everybody's face for years, dare I say decades. And everyone knew and everyone was okay with it. And it wasn't a problem until suddenly it was. So why is it a problem? I think that cheating in baseball is occurring at all times. And it kind of occurs on a spectrum. So you think about sign stealing, which you mentioned. Well, it's okay to steal signs from second base. And it's okay to steal signs from the third base coach's box or from the dugout. But it's not okay to use a camera in the center field. Same act, like same crime, same thing that is technically against the rules. But just because you use technology to do it, people aren't okay with it. You can look at performance enhancers and look at you know look at things like stimulants, right? It's okay to get hopped up on caffeine and ephedrine before a game, but it's not okay to use amphetamines. It exists on a spectrum. So it's the same thing with sticky stuff and foreign substances. Sunscreen rosin, A-okay, no problem. But as soon as you start using like the stuff that was brewed up in a lab for like Brian Shaw and Eddie Hall to lift Atlas stones in the world's strongest man competitions. Well, now all of a sudden that's not okay. Like it's just, there is just this weird spectrum of cheating in baseball where a certain amount of cheating is okay up until some limit that is completely arbitrary and like nobody really even knows where it is ever. Uh, and then so, and suddenly you cross over that and it, it becomes an issue and people in baseball start getting mad about it. And then we have to have this whole hullabaloo that we're having now and that we had with sign stealing, that we had with steroids, that we had with like all kinds of things throughout baseball's history that were like okay until they weren't. So like I'm with you, man. Like I'm not bothered at all by the use of sticky stuff. I think everybody should be allowed to use it. I enjoy breaking balls that are like insane. I love pitching ninjas Twitter accounts. Like I love watching like amazing sliders. I like strikeouts. Like I think I'm the only person on planet Earth who loves a good strikeout. Like I think it's so cool when Lance Lynn strikes out uh like eight or nine blue jays and is like spinning off the mound and yelling and swearing and like perfectly locating these like you know three different fastballs. One of them's flat, one of them cuts, one of them sinks and the jays have no idea what to do with them and he's like such a competitor on the mound and repeating his delivery you look at his release point and it's you know on the chart and it's just this perfect little like circle like it's just beautiful to me i love the stuff in the game and i love pitching um but i think that you know this season for a lot of people like the offense just got suppressed to a point they're like okay we gotta do something about this so now we're going to get the sticky stuff out, I guess. I don't know. In Arden's MLB, behind the mound, there is a rosin bag and a vat of World's Strongest Man sticky stuff <laughs> that pitchers can dip their hands into at all times. And also, they're probably all taking steroids because I wouldn't outlaw that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just that me. would be an entertaining league to watch, for sure. 
Um, your broadcast partners <laughs> yeah. might have some interesting comments on that one. It's an entertainment product, man. There are a lot of factors that go into it, in, including the sticky stuff, but it is by no means the one factor that's making baseball the way baseball is today. Whether you like or dislike the way baseball is today, sticky stuff, just one factor. So then there's the question of kind of how do we approach this morally? And I mean, of all the places in this world or even in this sport to kind of place moral outrage, like, I don't know, like it's just, to me, it yeah, just doesn't register. Um, in the sport of baseball, there are places that you could place moral outrage, you know, and you could look at any number of things, like you said, basically scouting like 12 and 13 year old kids or, you know, hiring practices or, you know, all kinds of different places. Sticky stuff to me, it's just it's just not on that list. But I still think that you do want to have some sort of consistency from a regulation standpoint, just because connecting it to steroids, you have, say, the way Major League Baseball handled that leading up to, you know, of course, the, the steroid era. And f- until 2003, yes, steroids were banned from 1991 on, but there wasn't even any kind of enforcement or testing. So at that point, you're basically saying like it's to go back to your 401 example. It's like if they listed the speed limit at 100, but the OPP were never out and there were never cameras and there were never traffic helicopters and it was just the Wild West. So at that point, what do you think is going to happen when you have these hyper competitive, super incentivized athletes? They're going to push the limits. And so that's where I say that you probably do want to have some sort of regulation. But even in the meantime, it's just not something that I personally lose sleep over. Yeah, let's regulate it and like let's dictate what is allowed. And let's provide every clubhouse with a crate of MLB-approved, standardized, sticky stuff, yeah. right? And let's slap like Robert Oberst's friggin' face on it. Like, this, this is what I use when I'm, you know, in my strongman competitions. And now pitchers can use it. And great. Perfect. Because like I like I it's it doesn't make the product unenjoyable to me that pitchers are really good. Like I, I have no problem with that. And you really think that like removing the sticky stuff or only using raws in a sunscreen is really going to impact offense like that much. Do you really think it's going to make like it, it'll increase it slightly maybe, but there are still a myriad of other issues at play with, you know, the decrease in, in offense we're seeing, whether it's like three true outcomes being rewarded, contact skills, not being paid, Pitchers simply being better, like even without the use of foreign substances, just throwing as hard as they ever have in the history of the game and having all the tools that they have with Rapsodo and Edutronic that can like help them like just make their stuff like as devastating as possible with or without the use of foreign substances, defensive shifts, um, teams that are deploying their pitching staffs in much smarter ways. Video scouting is like worlds ahead of where it used to be. And it's just getting better and better and more specified. I mean, there are so many reasons why offense has been suppressed lately. And I really just don't think that the amount of attention we're paying to sticky stuff is going to change anything. It's really not. Yeah, it's really not. And so, you know, we can all watch the Garrett Cole clip and think, oh my goodness, there's like a smoking gun. Like Garrett Cole used sticky stuff and i mean okay yeah he does and so do pitchers on the blue jays so do pitchers on every team in major league baseball it's just part of the baseball world now and so that 
in and of itself isn't necessarily a problem. It's something that, hey, like you want to take a look at, you want to be clear eyed about what's happening in the sport and understand, is this what we really want to you know, have happening? Is there a little bit of a shift that we, we can implement here to change the sport for the better? Okay, great. And you don't necessarily need to rush into that. But also to pin all this on any one individual, whether it's Garrett Cole or Trevor Bauer, that certainly misses the bigger picture of, of what's happening here. Oh my God, the parsing of like Garrett Cole's answers and the like, we need to ask Trevor Bauer, like, right, Garrett Cole, have you ever used sticky? We all know the answer. The answer is yes. We all know he's used it. Everybody's using it. Like, what are we, why are we going through this whole song and dance? Like, why are these pitchers getting thrown under the bus at the, you know, and why are we not asking questions of a league that was like, that had this rule on the books for however many years it's been on the books and didn't enforce it or relied upon, uh, oh, the managers will handle it. Don't worry, the managers will bring it up. Or, yeah, no, the umpires are going to take care of it. Or, oh, yeah, we, we issued a memo. Like it's good, you know, just like we issued a memo about about sign stealing, right? Like if if you have an issue with what players are doing, like do something about it. That's your role as a league. Um, and I just think that we're completely missing the plot by like looking at, you know, Cole and Bauer and any other, you know, pitchers who have had these certain, you know, very suspicious jumps in spin rate and and you know, kind of like you know, making them walk the plank for this when it's about MLB. It's about a league that, oh, by the way, deadened the baseball this year. You want offense, maybe don't deaden the baseball this year. It's an institutional failure, the fact that sticky stuff was was allowed to be used as as broadly as it was. Um, not that I even have a problem with it, but you know, for MLB to come out now and be like, oh, it's you know, Trevor Bauer was a driveline concocting this stuff and it was an evil ploy. I mean just forget like it's just distracting from from the real root issues here and i don't think any players need to be strung up for it i don't know who's driving this conversation it might be certainly within the game people are concerned about it people are aware of it within the game it's a topic so it's that's uh, in to some extent where it originates from media certainly talk about it no question about that i don't know and i i only ever interact with a small proportion of fans and so i hesitate to speak on behalf of fans but my sense is that fans aren't super worried about it. I think fans are curious about it more so than being, you know, necessarily concerned about the sticky stuff is my sense. Yeah, I think there's there's definitely some hitters who are pissed off about it, right? In the oh, game yeah. who want to see a change. But Josh Donaldson doesn't seem thrilled. Yeah, but there's also some hitters who are doing pretty well this year. It doesn't seem to be bothering Vladimir Guerrero Jr., is not stopping Nick Castellanos or Yuli Gurriel or you know JD Martinez or uh, I don't know Xander Bogarts like like order the league by the best hitters and like there's still plenty of guys who are thriving with this stuff being used against them every night. It might be a while before we get resolution on this one, but interesting to watch. Yeah, I want a vat of sticky stuff and a jug of testosterone behind the pitcher's mound at all times, along with the rosin and along with uh, the sunscreen the guys are already greased up with. Anyway, uh, I'm only sort of kidding. Uh, he's Ben Nicholson-Smith. I'm Arden Zwelling. Our producers are Mike Tassoni and Christian Ryan. And this has been At The Letters. We thank you so much for listening. And we'll talk to you next week on At The Letters. Taking us out is an artist from Western Canada who has spent time in South London and Botswana. During his travels, Tion Gibbs met several creatives. On this track, he teams up with I Am The Living, 
the two also just released the Jungle EP. With Between the Groove, here's Tion Gibbs and I Am the Living.